This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, where the toll from COVID-19 continues to climb. The Department of Health is reporting 15,698 confirmed cases, 323 fatalities, 27 more Floridians died over the past day. The Army Corps of Engineers is converting the Miami Beach Convention Center into a field hospital for 450 patients, and officials say they hope they don't ever have to use it. Another day, another list of complaints about Florida's unemployment compensation system. U.S. Representatives Charlie Crist and Kathy Castor want the governor to increase the size of checks and the number of weeks that you're eligible for benefits. The coronavirus is blowing up the state budget, and no one knows for sure how much it will cost. So some of the Democrats who serve in the legislature are wondering just how the governor can go ahead with plans to send more than $500 million in tax rebates to some of the biggest corporations in the country. COVID-19 is having a disproportionate effect on black communities. State Representative Chevron Jones is asking the governor to increase testing in those communities. He's our guest today on the Sunrise Interview. We'll also have your daily calendar of political events and check in with Florida Man, who was sent to jail for having a penthouse magazine. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Thursday, April 9th. The sprawling Miami Beach Convention Center is being converted into a hospital for coronavirus patients. Governor Ron DeSantis flew to Miami-Dade to make the official announcement. Here at the Convention Center, uh, we've been working with the Army Corps of Engineers over the last several weeks. Um, as many of you know, uh, when uh, this launched with the 15 days to stop the spread and other initiatives that were done in South Florida and statewide, people uh, would talk about flattening the curve uh, so that the hospital system could cope uh, you know, with the patients uh, who were impacted by this, that, this illness. And so from the very beginning, you know, we looked strategically around the state um, and made plans to be able to expand hospital capacity. Um, and so that's one of the things uh, that we're going to be doing um, here today. Uh, this facility, um, in conjunction with the Army Corps of Engineers, uh, will open with 400 beds uh, and 50 ICU beds for a total of 450 beds. The hospital will cover 500,000 square feet and will be able to scale up to 1,000 beds if the need is there. Um, in addition to contract staff of doctors, nurses, certified nurse assistants, respiratory therapists, and other medical personnel, the facility will be staffed by 184 members of Florida's National Guard medical team as follows. Ten physicians, 19 physician assistants, five case managers, five social workers, 25 medical clerks, 25 housekeepers, a patient transporter, 25 EMT technicians, two medical assistants, 50 paramedics, 16 registered nurses, and one licensed infection uh, preventionist. So this will uh, provide uh, a lot of resources should the need arise to be able to care for patients. And this is going to be a facility that will accept the COVID patients. You know, some of the overflow that's been done in other parts of the country, initially they wanted it for non-COVID. This is for COVID, so if somebody has it, now, this facility is going to be able uh, to accommodate that. The Army Corps of Engineers is responsible for converting the convention center into a working hospital. Corps Commander Lieutenant General Todd Semonite says they've just completed similar builds in New York, Detroit, and Chicago. We've been working in Florida for almost 100 years. Uh, disaster response, Everglades restoration, beach renourishment. 
But I can't think of a more noble task than saving the lives of the Floridians that have been infected by this virus. And just the thoughts and prayers of all of us in the Corps and in the federal government go out to all of those people, and especially the real heroes, the people that are on the front lines, the nurses and the doctors. And this ability to be able to bring this facility on, to be able to help mitigate this, is, is going to be instrumental. And this really is a team effort. Today, the Corps of Engineers is working for that man right there, the governor, okay? And we're going to work side-by-side with the mayors, with the city leadership, the state leadership, the National Guard, obviously the medical communities. We are here basically on behalf of FEMA to be able to help out. But let there be no doubt as to where our loyalty is. When the governor decides how they want to do this and what their plan is, we need to be able to put this in the ground to be able to make sure that we're meeting that requirement. The governor talked about 400 and then the 50 ICUs, but there's a lot of other supporting requirements. What do you do for showers? There's not a lot of showers in the convention center, so how do we bring those back in? What do we do for oxygen? How do you be able to run where it's patient receiving and then patient discharge? PPE transition. Every time a nurse walks out to take a break, how do you make sure they're going through the right protected areas to be able to drop that off and then those, those things go away so they aren't, aren't hurting anything else? And that's what this whole facility is going to be able to, uh, to provide. This is a hard build. This is probably a three-week build. We don't have three weeks. The governor just sat with me in the trailer behind us and said, you've got till about the night of the 20th of April. So it's not design it and build it as you'd like. It's here's the suspense, get it done. And wherever there is a problem in the way, everybody focused on that particular obstacle, whether it's local, state, city officials to try to figure out how do I work our way through this? How do we mitigate this? How do we get a solution that is not the perfect solution, but it sure is the mission essential solution so we make sure that when the first patient needs to show up, there's a bed that's able to do it. So, Governor, the mayor's here. You have my personal commitment. We will fly whatever we need to from the United States all around the, the, our, our uh, whole domain in here to be able to get this done on time because I think what you have got with a vision right here is you've got the capacity and you've got the plan. We're just proud to be part of your team. More pressure to change Florida's unemployment system for hundreds of thousands of Floridians who've lost their jobs during the pandemic. Michelle Evermore with NELP, the National Employment Law Project, says Florida has a, quote, uniquely unfair, stingy, and exclusionary unemployment insurance system. So in 2011 and 2012, the previous governor and legislature rammed through some of the most punishing rules in the United States. This system was actively designed to discourage workers from applying for benefits and were made to navigate a labyrinthine application process designed to fail workers. So as a result, in the first quarter of last year, only 8.3% of unemployed workers in Florida were able to receive a benefit, the worst in the United States for that quarter. And the annual rate of around 10% is among the bottom two states. Around 49% of workers exhausted benefits before finding unemployment, also among the worst rates in the United States. This is stunningly irresponsible. Unfavorable audits of Florida's Connect system are nothing new. This system has failed audits since it was launched in 2013. Um, also, due to the underlying system's hideous record, um, NELP filed a formal complaint against the state system to the Department of Labor, and the DOL's Civil Rights Division uh, agreed that the system needed serious reform, finding that this system is uniquely inaccessible to non-English speakers, people of color, and people with disabilities. To date, this system is still inaccessible and discriminatory. 227,000 Floridians filed new claims just last week. Every dollar paid out in unemployment insurance at the height of the last recession resulted in $1.61 in local economic activity. 
Unemployed Floridians deserve better in normal times, but in these extraordinary times, immediate action is needed as a matter of public safety. The system may have been designed to fail, but Congresswoman Kathy Castor of Tampa says Governor Ron DeSantis has the authority to fix that during the state of emergency. Unemployment insurance matters to everyone across the state of Florida. Our entire economy will recover at a faster rate if we have those dollars circulating throughout the economy. So any roadblock that Governor DeSantis and the state of Florida puts in the way is a roadblock to our economic recovery eventually. But more front burner is this is the lifeline for our neighbors to survive, to be able to put food on their tables, maybe you know pay a few bills, take care of their kids, take care of their parents. And we simply have to act as if it is an emergency. That means Governor DeSantis needs to exercise his emergency powers right away to lift the cap on the $275 a week benefit. Florida is the lowest in the country. He needs to act now using his emergency powers to lengthen the number of weeks. Florida is the stingiest, I believe tied with North Carolina on the 12 week limitation. Governor DeSantis has already exercised his emergency powers uh, under the unemployment insurance statute to uh, waive the requirement that you have to apply to five jobs and that you have a one-week waiting period. So what is stopping him now from lifting that cap on the amount of money that will go to unemployed workers? And what is stopping him from lengthening the number of weeks? This is an extraordinary time. It's a public health emergency, an economic emergency. And that requires him to use his emergency powers on behalf of our neighbors and on behalf of this great state. The DeSantis administration claims the governor cannot lift the cap on benefits or increase unemployment comp by executive order. But Congressman Charlie Crist of St. Petersburg says... He can. Christ was governor during the Great Recession, and he did pretty much the same thing. He can't understand why any politicians would oppose this, and he's still dumbfounded that the Florida legislature continues to deny health care to a million Floridians and turn down billions of dollars from the feds by refusing to expand Medicaid coverage for low-income Floridians during a pandemic. You know, how you treat the least among us says a lot about who we are as a people, as a nation. And I know we're a compassionate nation. I know that we're good people. But sometimes we get people in office that don't share the same compassion that, that, you know, the people of the country or the state of Florida do. And it's it's a real disconnect. And we need to get right with this. Um, You know, not accepting Medicaid expansion is unconscionable. I mean, you know, what kind of person is it that doesn't want to provide health care for the poor in our state and our country? I mean, that's just so appalling to me. I can't even articulate it appropriately. It's just, it's unconscionable. You know, I mean, this is an issue of fundamental fairness and simply doing what's right. To me, this has nothing to do with politics. This has nothing to do with Republicans versus Democrats. This has nothing to do with right versus left. It is a matter of right versus wrong and not helping people, particularly in a time of need that we're experiencing this crisis is dead wrong. During his press conference in Miami Beach Wednesday, Governor DeSantis was asked about making unemployment payments retroactive because so many people were unable to file when they were losing their jobs and the computer portal crashed. The governor says they're considering it. So, I mean, the law is when you can file. But what I've told the, uh, Ken Lawson is, you know, if someone was trying to apply uh, on what, like last Wednesday 
and the the system wasn't really working, then I think you should you should count that as the day. So he's looking at um, you know how that will uh, how that will work. But I mean, I think that. That, that, that you know that's a reasonable accommodation if the system you know because I uh, when when this all happened I told the DEO I said look you know there's going to be a surge hire more people in the call center do all that and they were like yeah we'll do it but just tell people it's easier for them to go to the website so they were telling people to go to this thing and then it reached capacity and so that is something that I don't think is their fault. In the midst of a public health crisis that has killed more than 300 Floridians and decimated the state economy, State Senator Jose Javier Rodriguez of Miami says the Florida Department of Revenue is about to send more than half a billion dollars to some of the largest corporations in the country. $543 million are corporate tax refunds, uh, which are gratuitous. Uh, There really was no justification for them other than just simply the legislature wanted to do it. And this is something that will occur if the governor does not act. It will occur sometime between April 15th and May 1st. So well ahead of that timeline, we are calling on the governor uh, to take any uh, necessary action to prevent uh, those corporate refunds from going out. If we ask who would benefit from these checks going out, well, they would be the top 1% of corporations uh, in in the nation, the, 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 our corporate taxpayers are a small subset, and they're the uh, biggest uh, corporations in the country. They are not small businesses. They're not even medium-sized businesses. Representative Carlos Guillermo Smith of Orlando says lawmakers made a mistake when they approved those refunds, and the pandemic means priorities have changed. It was a bad decision before this pandemic began to unfold, but it's an even worse decision right now, especially understanding that there is going to be a huge hole in our state budget uh, that we still don't know exactly how much it is. We have to really underscore who is receiving these refunds. We're talking about the top 1% of Florida's 2.3 million businesses who are going to receive this $543 million corporate income tax refund. Not one small or medium-sized business is going to receive any benefit from this. Our small businesses are the economic engine of the state of Florida. Uh, And our small and medium-sized businesses represent 99% of Florida businesses. Giving out this giant corporate refund at this time uh, is is not is not only insulting to those folks, but it's also just should not be a priority for Florida, and that's why we're urging Governor DeSantis to uh, use his executive authority to stop this uh, and help us as a, a state reassess what our economic priorities are, help us reassess what are the priorities for Floridians, uh, and give us the opportunity to. Uh, make smart, sound, and strategic decisions for how we move forward. Representative Anna Escamani of Orlando says the big corporations are doing just fine. She's more concerned about the small and medium-sized firms that are the backbone of the state economy. That's the reality of our small businesses right now. They deserve the type of uh, refund that these major corporations are getting, and yet they are waiting and waiting with no relief in sight. Yet the governor has committed that these refunds will happen right on time, scheduled, uh, no later than May, than May 1st. And so we come here together to, to point out the fact that there are, are bigger, bigger budget needs we need to address right now. And the, the continued um, 
giveaway to these major corporations already experiencing one of the lowest corporate income tax rates in the country at 4.5%. Um, uh, they, they don't, they're not the ones who need a break right now. It is our small businesses and our unemployed Floridians. And we believe that it's inappropriate that these big corporations can get checks while the rest of us here in Florida are, are waiting and waiting for that check. Representative Javier Fernandez of South Miami says it would be nice if the governor was just as generous to small business and laid off workers as he is to the big companies. We have a governor who has shown some decisive leadership when it comes to sending a message to corporations that he's going to give them everything he believes they're entitled for. Juxtapose that against an environment where currently we've got uh, more than half a million Floridians who've attempted to file an unemployment claim and can't access those resources. And the governor is silent as to whether or not he's going to grant them uh, re retroactive benefits for the uh, very uh, unemployment benefits they should get from the date they applied as opposed to uh, the date we're actually able to competently process their applications. Um, the challenges we're going to face on the revenue side are, are massive. Uh, this handout is ill-timed. Representative Fernandez also demonstrated one of the dangers of this new era when press conferences are conducted by video conferencing. The lawmaker was Zoom-bombed by his own dog. As the coronavirus sweeps the country, it appears to be infecting and killing black Americans at a disproportionately high rate. A Washington Post analysis shows counties that are mostly majority black have three times the rate of infections, almost six times the rate of deaths, as counties where white residents are in the majority. Next up on the Sunrise Interview, you'll hear from State Representative Chevron Jones, who is asking the governor to increase testing in black communities. This is Sunrise from Florida Politics. Welcome back to Sunrise. Our guest today is Representative Chevron Jones of West Park, who is asking the governor to expand testing for COVID-19 within the black communities. Welcome to the show, Representative. And can you tell us what is the problem you're trying to address with this request? Oh, thank you so much, Rick. Yeah, the problem that we're trying to address is to ensure that individuals within the black community have a greater access to, to getting tested. I know that the Department of Health currently have the number of cases that exist as far as based on, on race but that's based on those individuals who are actually going to get tested, who actually have the means to go get tested. But there is a larger issue is that we have right now with those individuals in saturated black areas of the black community within South Florida do not have the access to be able to go get tested. Now, the Washington Post came out with a report that says that the black communities appear to have been especially hurt hard by coronavirus, that uh, a very disproportionately high rate, as many as three times the rate of infection, six times the rate of deaths. Are we seeing the same thing here in Florida, or is it, is it even possible to tell? No, there's definitely the same thing in Florida, but it's just not with, I mean, coronavirus is just an added, added issue that, we're, that, that we deal with within the black community when we come to access to health care. So because of the lack of access to health care uh, within the black community, now you're looking at the, the amount of individuals who walk, who, walk into the, who walk into the unfortunate situation not to be able to get tested or not to be able to have access to, to get tested. We walk into that predicament right now with those individuals within the black community. Is, is there also a problem with the fact that so many people in the black community have the sort of job that you can't do from home? You can't sit on a computer and do your job. Yeah, most of the individuals in the black community, these are your essential workers. These are individuals who either work for the government. These are individuals who work for your Publix um, and your, your, your McDonald's and your Burger King. They, these are individuals who are at work. So they, these individuals cannot just leave to go, uh, to go get tested like that. Any response from the governor's office yet? No response from the, from the governor's office yet, but this is an issue that is just not important to me. I just spoke with Senator Bobby Powell, 
is important to the uh, the Black Caucus. And uh, Senator um, Leader Audrey Gibson, she's pushing this issue also. So I think we're going to see a a uh, a, 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 uh, a rising cry out uh, from the Black Caucus in making sure that Black communities have the access to COVID testing. Is this something that would require a special session, or can, can it be done administratively? I think it can be done administratively. Listen, when we when we're talking about this issue, yeah, we I think we all can see that uh, the coronavirus. Has has no respected person uh, based off of race, religion, or anything. Uh, and we see that we see many people who are who are dying, who are being affected from this, and everyone should be able to have access uh, to not just the testing but to healthcare. All right, thank you so much for your time, Rep, and stay safe. Thanks, Rick. You too. Another loss for the governor in a fight over voting rights in Florida. A federal judge in Tallahassee has granted class action status in a lawsuit challenging the law that implemented Amendment 4, which restores voting rights for former felons after they complete their sentences. Until now, there were only 17 actual plaintiffs in the case. Now it's probably more than 400,000. That at least is the estimate from University of Florida political science professor Daniel Smith, who found that in the 58 counties for which he had data, more than 430,000 felons would be ineligible to vote solely because they had outstanding financial obligations. Now the trial in this case gets underway later this month. Your calendar of events begins with the South Florida Water Management District Governing Board. They're meeting online at 9. The Second Judicial Circuit Judicial Nominating Commission is also meeting at 9. They'll interview two additional candidates for an open judgeship. The Florida Supreme Court, well, they're scheduled to release their weekly opinions at 11. And at noon, the U.S. Department of Agriculture will release an updated forecast for the citrus season. And once again, it's time for Florida Man. Would you believe Florida Man the series? A state appeals court has decided a Florida man convicted of possessing child pornography should not have his probation revoked for simply possessing a copy of Penthouse magazine. George Bryan had been placed on sex offender probation after pleading guilty to possessing kiddie porn. Last year, prosecutors asked a judge to send him to prison for violating probation because he didn't tell the truth during a probation officer polygraph exam and he had a copy of Penthouse magazine. Now, Bryan argued that the adult magazine was not relevant to a child pornography conviction, but a judge in Hillsborough County sent him off to prison anyway. Brian appealed, and a three-judge panel has now decided that there was no evidence that Penthouse Magazine had anything to do with what the court called his, quote, deviant behavior pattern. They overturned the prison sentence, but they sent the case back to the original trial judge to decide if he should be sent back to prison for lying on the polygraph exam. By the way, if you enjoy these Florida Man stories, there's a petition you might want to check out. A guy by the name of George Ashcroft has started a petition on Change.org asking Netflix to turn Florida Man into a series. He's collected about 540 signatures so far. That's it for today's episode of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again tomorrow as we plumb the depths of Florida politics.